Welcome to It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode of It's Time, we'll listen to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of 2 Samuel. This book is especially important as it focuses entirely on the life of King David, the line of Christ. Examining the triumphs and troubles of David, we can learn a lot about being a person after God's own heart. With the timely study on 2 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. And tonight, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of 2 Samuel. We're continuing our study looking at uh, the life of David at this particular point. Actually looking at the entirety of the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you now that you would just bless it to our hearts, to our lives. God, we thank you for the wonderful opportunities that you give us to know you. And so we ask you now in Jesus' name that you would speak to us, minister to us according to your spirit. And we love you and thank you in your precious name. Amen. Now, uh, we find here in 2 Samuel chapter 3, and just a little bit of review, we remember that Saul had died. Uh, and he fell on his own sword. And um, uh, whether he actually killed himself and uh, the Amalekite found, his, uh, found him and took his crown and his bracelet off of him, or as the Amalekite said, uh, he was laying there wounded and I finished him off. Uh, and here's his crown and here's his uh, sword, you know, his, his, um, his uh, bracelet. Um, uh, we don't know for sure whether the Amalekite was lying or what exactly happened there. But we know that he brought these things to David thinking he was going to get a reward. We remember David said, well, you touched God's anointed. You killed him. Now I'm going to kill you. And so uh, he was dead. Well, the nation of Israel then was without their king. And so Ishbaneth, Saul's son, raised up in his place and began his power quest, you might say. There was a long war between the house of David and the house of Saul. And David still didn't want to raise his hand against uh, Saul, uh, even his even his uh, kids. And so this uh, war just kind of kind of was simmering and and stuff. Well, Ishbaneth, uh, commander of the army, was named Abner, and Abner was a powerful man. And as he increased in power, Ishbaneth, uh, though he was acting as king over Israel, David was only king over one tribe, and that was over Judah. The rest, the other 11 tribes, had gone with Ishbaneth. Ishbaneth became a little worried when he saw the popularity of his right-hand man, the general. So it's interesting here, and we'll just read this so we understand as we move up here a little bit more, that in verse 6 of chapter 3, it says, Now it was so there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rithpath, uh, the daughter Aicha, and Ispaneth said to Abner, why have you gone into my father's concubine? Now this was a sign that he was trying to take over uh, the, uh, the kingdom, you might say. Now, Abner didn't really do this. It was just a false charge, evidently, from what we gather here, by Ishbaneth, in some way to discredit Abner and to have a reason to reduce him in power is what it was. But Abner became angry at the words of Ishbaneth and said, Am I a dog that belongs to the head of Judah? Today I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, and to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hand of David, and you charge me today with this fault concerning this woman. Uh, he was just falsely accused. It's not something um, 
uh, new that happens. It's happened all the way through the Old Testament. New Testament continues on today. Well, he says that Abner became angry with Ishbaneth and actually went over to the house of David and was in the process of switching the loyalty of the 11 tribes of Israel to David when David's right-hand man, his general, got jealous and was angry because Abner had killed his brother, killed Abner, and it became a quite a problem. Well, we find um, uh, this murder that had happened was, was tragic. Uh, and so um, it left uh, both of them in a very um, untrustworthy position, one with another. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, some new ground here. It says, And when Saul's son had heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart, and all of Israel was troubled. Now, the reason why Isbeneth was troubled, because even though he was fearful of Abner, accused him of, of some pretty ungodly things, um, he still needed him to help bring the power uh, to Isbeneth. Because, again, Isbeneth was not anybody that was really recognized. Saul, his father, was. David was. He was, of course, uh, Goliath, the giant killer. But Isbeneth was a really kind of a nobody, and so he really needed him. The only reason, again, I believe that he made that, that statement against Abner was in somehow try to reduce him so he wouldn't be more powerful than he was. Evidently, Isbeneth was not really secure in his position, and so anything, Abner or anybody else, threatened that position. Well, now he finds out that Abner's dead, and now he's worried, because now he really doesn't even have a right-hand guy, even if he was leaning now towards David. Well, it says, now the son, Saul's son had two, my, uh, two men who were captains of the troop. One was named Benaiah, and the other name was uh, Rechab, and it gives a little history about him. And it says that, uh, verse 4, we'll just go to verse 4, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame on his feet. And he was five years old when he heard the news about Saul and Jonathan that came from Jezreel. Now that's when they were killed in battle. So uh, Jonathan, who was David's best friend, uh, had Ismene, or excuse me, had, um, uh, had uh, this little boy, and this little boy was this son. And so he said that, that uh, he came, and uh, when the news came, uh, about Saul and Jonathan literally being dead in Jezreel. The nurse took him up and ran, fled. And it happened while she made haste to flee that she fell, and evidently she must have landed on him or he landed on his feet or something, but it probably broke his legs or his hip or something. He became lame. So his name was Mispaneth. And, and so um, he, was, he was crippled uh, when he was five years old when um, the nurse heard that uh, his dad and his grandfather had been killed. Well, then the sons of Remen, uh, uh, Rechab and Benaiah, those two that we read about earlier, um, it says that they um, uh, set out and came. Uh, that they set out and came about in the heat of the day to the house of Isbeneth, not Misbeneth, but Isbeneth, who again was Saul's son, who was lying on his bed at noon. He came in for his little afternoon snooze. And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach, and then Rechab and Benaiah, his brother, escaped. And they came to the house, and they came from into the house, and he was lying on his bed in his bedroom, and they struck him and killed him, and beheaded him, and took his head, 
and they were all night escaping through the plain. And so uh, they came in, they stabbed him, they cut his head off, and they took his head and escaped. Now, you say, well, that's kind of gory. Why did they take his head? Well, that's how you prove you kill somebody. And so uh, they were taking this head to David because, again, um, uh, this Ispaneth was the one that was actually in the place of David. Actually, God had anointed uh, David to be the next king over Israel, not Ispaneth. And so it's interesting, these two fellows decide they're going to kind of help David out. But you know what? David didn't really need um, their help. And so it's interesting, they brought the head of Ispaneth to David at Hebron. And they said to the king, here is the head of Ispaneth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my Lord, the king, this day of Saul and his descendants. Now, what's interesting here is that he... uh, um, they came thinking that they were going to get rewarded for uh, killing David's enemy. But David had a very much different way of looking at things. You know, David did not put his own personal agenda above what was right and lawful. And, uh, you know, Isbeneth did not deserve to die. He was literally murdered while he was laying there on his bed in his own house yet. And yet these two guys, who were probably really opportunists, decide, hey, uh, let's try to get on the good side here, and let's kill this guy, and we'll take the head to David, and let's see what we get. David answered Rechab and Benaiah, his brother, and, uh, and said to them, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all my adversity. By the way, it's interesting here that David recognizes that uh, God is the one that began the change in his life when David got serious and turned back to God. We remember that uh, while he was in the camp of the Philistines, he turned back to God, and uh, God uh, began to uh, restore David. David was in the camp of the Philistines because he was running for his life from Saul, um, but yet, nevertheless, uh, David, in his frustrations, he, he still decided that he was going to go ahead and uh, trust God, and so he called upon God, and God began to restore him, and so it's, he actually notice, gives God the credit here. He said, the Lord who has redeemed, me, uh, redeemed my life from all of its adversity. Verse 10, when someone told me, saying, look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziglag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. Now, again, this was this Amalekite that we talked about earlier that brought the crown and the bracelet to David, and he thought he was going to be rewarded for what he did. How much more when a wicked man have killed righteous person in his own house on his own bed? Therefore, shall I not now require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? So David commanded his young men, and they executed them, cut off their hands and their feet, hang them by the pool in Hebron, but they took the head of Ispaneth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. It's interesting that uh, he took the head uh, and gave it a proper burial, but the other guys he just left out hanging over the pool with their hands and their feet cut off. Uh, Naughty little feet. Naughty little hands. And uh, that was the punishment that they uh, got because of that. Well, now you have Ishmaneth, the king that was over the 11 tribes, now dead. And then all the tribes of Israel, chapter 5, verse 1, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, and they spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. So they're, they're saying that they were all, basically, they recognized they were all family. 
Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. Literally led them out to battle and brought them back, is what he's talking about here. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. And we remember that uh, Samuel had anointed David to be the next king over Israel because Saul did not do what the Lord had commanded. And Saul said, well, I kept all these to sacrifice. And that's where we uh, oftentimes hear that, to obey is greater than sacrifice. And Samuel turns to Saul, the first king of Israel, and says, God has taken away the kingdom of Israel from your hand. He's pulled it out of your hand and going to give it to another. Well, that's why Saul always had an eye for David to destroy him because he knew that he was going to lose the kingdom ultimately and David was going to be the next one. And evidently from what we read here, it seems that most everybody in Israel knew it too. Uh, And and again, we've talked about that before, but the promises and the blessings of God uh, in your life, friends, are pretty obvious to everybody. It isn't just something that a few people know about in some obscure place. But, you know, the Bible says, by your fruits, you shall know them. And uh, fruit is a very obvious thing on a plant, isn't it? You, you go out there and, uh, you know, you look at the corn plants and you put a seed in the ground, the corn grows, and, and you see these big ears, about two or three maybe growing on a corn stalk. Uh, that's pretty evident for what the fruit is of that. You know, you go out and, and you see these... Uh, Trees with all the uh, green leaves, and then you see all the bright yellow apricots and peaches. Fruit's pretty evident. Maybe it's not evident at first, but eventually everybody knows what you are by your fruit. And again, uh, that's how you know. That doesn't mean at times there isn't some bird-pecked apricots. Doesn't mean sometimes there's not a rotten peach hanging on the tree. And that doesn't mean that in your life you're going to do everything absolutely perfect. Proverbs he said the, uh, the ox stall is dirty where the oxen have been. A lot of people go around bragging about how clean their ox stall is. You look at my life. I'm so clean and squeaky. I don't do anything wrong. Right. You don't do anything right either. You don't do anything. Well, the Bible is there saying that where ox have been, the stall is going to be dirty. Yeah, there's going to be some stuff left over, but that doesn't mean you just don't do nothing. Well, again, fruit in a person's life is pretty obvious. And that's obvious to everybody that's looking. And, and again, friends, you don't have to look very clearly. And you know what that usually causes in a person? One, one of two things. Either they'll see it and glorify God. And prayerfully, if they try to glorify you, you will point them to God who gave you the fruit. Because it's real easy to go, yeah, I know I'm great. Thank you. And God will go, quack, 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 quack. Because God's not going to share his glory with anybody. And any good thing about us is what God's done in us. Okay. So we understand how important that is to to understand that. But, you know, again, people see that. And there's two reactions. One, they're going to say, wow, isn't God great? And again, when they try to say, aren't you good? You've got to direct them to God. The other thing they're going to be is they're going to be jealous. And jealousy is that thing that always goes on because they see the obvious fruit in your life. And yet in the obvious fruit in your life, they know they don't have any real fruit in their life. In fact, sometimes the only fruit they have is what they've stolen from somebody else. And they become jealous of that. And so you then become the brunt of them because you're the standard. You're saying, well, you know, well, see, they go around saying, well, there's no fruit on my tree, but I see a lot of trees with no fruit on them, so I guess I'm all right. And then all of a sudden, there you are, and there's fruit hanging on your tree. And they see all those peaches and all those yellow apricots and all those red apples, and they go, ah, there really is people that have fruit in their life. we got to get rid of this. And so they try doing all kinds of things. They try shaking a tree. They'll try climbing up in the tree and eating the fruit. 
I'm amazed what people will do out of jealousy uh, to take away what God is already doing in a person's life. You know, it's pretty obvious and pretty evident. And you know what, friends, when you see it year after year, year after year, you pretty much know that fruit is there. But you know, again, the flash in the pan kind of people that do these kinds of things, you know, the Bible tells you you've got to beware of them. And, and, and so it's interesting to me here that, that um, David uh, recognizes this. And, and um, um, you know, it, it's pretty obvious what, what, what you are. And so he tells us here again that, um, uh, that all of Israel knows this. Notice it again. Um, he says, in times past, Saul was king over us. And you are the one who led Israel out and brought them in. So again, there was fruit there because people could see what David was doing. They may have wanted to forget it at times, but nevertheless, David did that and they knew about it. And uh, notice also it says, And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. And so again, we find here that uh, everybody knew that David was going to be the next king. Maybe they didn't know how God was going to do it, I don't even think David knew how he was, God was going to do it. But that doesn't mean that God isn't going to do it. And I'll tell you something, friends. One of the other things, too, when you see the promise of God in your life and when you see how God works, don't think that just because you can't figure out how God's going to do it ain't going to mean he ain't going to do it. Because a lot of times we like to think, oh, I don't see how God will ever do that. Well, your, your perception of God is a lot smaller than God really is. You know, I heard a thing one time, and if there's probably anything that most Christians have, your God is too small. And it's because we don't uh, believe that God can do impossible things. And so again, all the way through the Bible, if one thing you don't get any other thing, is when you read the Bible, there's a miracle on almost every page in the Bible where God had to intervene, either because he loved them or just to show him his power. But all the way through the Bible, God showed his power to people who loved him, even when they got themselves in tight fixes and messes. And again, that whole illustration of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And here you got mountains on either side and the Red Sea in front and Pharaoh's army behind. And they weren't happy. And the only way out's up. I think God, a lot of times, allows us to be in those positions so we will look up. When we say, whew, I don't see any way out of this one, God says, that's my specialty. That's his specialty. In fact, if you could figure it out, you wouldn't need God, would you? So God puts us in positions, friends, sometimes that are very uncomfortable, not because God hates us. And a lot of times I think that's what it is. We think, well, God doesn't like me because if he liked me, I wouldn't be in this position. And God's saying, I'm putting you in this position so you realize this problem is bigger than you. You could never figure it out. You're going to have to turn to me and I'll show you who I am. Well, that makes a lot of difference, doesn't it? Because a lot of times we like to say, well, God, thank you. Yeah, just get involved on the hard ones. I can handle the easy ones. Thank you very much. You know, you just go back and, you know, worry about Iran or something or Iraq or, you know, do whatever you do, you know. I can take care of this one. Not so. So he says, verse 3, So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. It's interesting, from the time that God actually gave Samuel that word that David was to be the next king over Israel to the time that he actually became. Uh, uh, decades had gone by. But God never forgot his promise, friends. God's never forgotten you. And I think a lot of times we think, well, because I don't see it happen immediately or even in five years or ten years, doesn't mean that God isn't going to do it and he's not going to be faithful to his word. 
So we find here in verse 4, it says, David was 30 years old when he began to reign. So now, you look at all the things that happened in David's life. Um, 30 years old when he began to reign. Uh, We don't know how old he was when he killed the giant. Um, Some people think he was probably 19 or 20. Some people even put him at 12, 13 years old. We don't know exactly. We know whatever it was, the armor of Saul did not fit David because Saul said, well, if you're going to go out and and try to kill the giant, David, at least wear my armor. And it was like a a sack on him. He, He just couldn't, it was just too little for it. So he just went out there with a slingshot and five smooth stones and the blessing and the anointing of God and brought that big, nasty, mean old giant that was reviling the God of Israel down. Uh, So again, it isn't in the power oftentimes that we think is what makes the difference in winning or losing. It's the anointing of God in a person's life. And so verse 5, it says, And in Hebron, David reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all of Israel and Judah. So uh, it's interesting here that Uh, He had some of it, and then he eventually got all of it there, is what it's talking about there in verse 5. Verse 6, it says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites and the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come here. (laughs) Now, the Jebusites, who were the inhabitants of Jerusalem, said to David, saying, you know what? We're going to put up some guards to keep you out. You know what we're going to use? We're going to use the blind and the, the blind and the lame are going to keep you out. That's how weak, David, you are. You say that to a king, you got problems. Now, evidently, uh, the Jebusites probably trusted a little bit in the, in the natural geography of Jerusalem itself. You have the Kidron Valley on one side. You have, you have a lot of natural obstacles that would protect Jerusalem and then also the wall. And so they're poking fun at David, saying, well, our blind and our lame, those are our gods, uh, guards, and they'll keep you out. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David, or Jerusalem. And that's Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River Christian Fellowship, with Second Samuel on It's Time. If you'd like to have your own copy of today's episode, you can obtain one for free from the daily iTunes podcast. If you want a hard copy, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order. And while you do that, don't forget that 2 Samuel is part two of the first and second Samuel series available from the River Christian Fellowship. Please tune in next time for another relevant Bible study on It's Time.